It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, this is Sean Cannon. You may know me better as Karate's Bad Boy. I'm hanging out with Zach and Dustin. If you're not, then your karate's a joke. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats! You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s movies. And sometimes 90s. And soundtracks from our youth. And then we interview our favorite people who help make them. All in the spirit of nostalgic positivity. Thanks for listening. centuries, the Society of the Black Dragon has sanctioned an ancient rite of combat known as the Kumite. Open only to the world's most lethal warriors. It has never been won by a Westerner. You are not Japanese. I can do it. Now, for the first time, the true story of America's super agent Frank Dukes can be revealed. Uncle Sam can't afford to let you get hurt. I'm going to Hong Kong. Frank is going to fight in the Kumite and we're here to stop him. An awesome human weapon. That hurts me just looking at it. Who infiltrates the Chinese underworld. I did not come this far to stop now. Take him. To enter a forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in? Strict rules. No press. Are you telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style. Every worthy opponent. Every deadly technique. I in savage combat. Time to separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. Now I break you. International martial arts sensation Jean-Claude Van Damme in Blood Sport. The true story of the ultimate champion. This is our 100th episode. Oh my God, it is. It is. I... Wow, you know, I didn't come prepared knowing that for some you reason. One hundred episodes. We've been doing this for one hundred episodes. One hundred episodes, and uh, joining us is Paul London, professional wrestler, brother of Jonathan London from Geekscape. I think Jonathan's very hurt that we don't we didn't have him on first. Yes, <laughs> he might be. so he's never been on before. No, nope. we. Messed up a little bit. Jonathan, we love Jonathan. Jonathan, we love you. If you're listening to this, we love you. Jonathan is the godfather of Geekscape. He keeps everything running, pays all the taxes and bills on time. Um, we have not had Jonathan on. Jonathan was very concerned today that I was, he was like, don't give my brother any of your groaners. 
And I was like, do you mean my testicles? And he's like, no, you're groaners. You know, we're just make fun of you for all the groaners that you say. So I'm going to try not, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to try not to do it. And if I've already done it, then it's too late. I, I welcome all groaners. I don't know what they are, yeah. but they sound fun. Okay. That's not a London family thing that you guys are like, you always know about the groaners or don't do the groaners? I don't think so. Okay. I clearly wasn't paying attention. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the hell is. It sounds like a long night on the toilet. It does. It does. <laughs> it does. All, all the noises come out on a long night on the toilet. So we're really happy to have you here. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm awake. I'm feeling much better. No bandages on the head. I'm out of the hospital. Uh, <laughs> Ray Jackson, keeping it alive. I had no idea he was even in the sequel. I had no. I've never seen the sequel. I didn't know that either until I looked up the cast because I've never seen the sequel as well. Whoa, right. oh, this is shocking, Zach. I thought you were going to pull it out. Like you, like you're just going to pull up the VHS right now. You just had it right <laughs> behind you. That's normally how this goes, Paul. To be clear. I was going to pull up interactive cards because I have a Ray Jackson oh. baseball card. Oh, uh, yeah. Courtesy of Phantom Cardboard. I'm going to be doing that throughout the episode. So for everyone listening, sorry, you'll have to go to our Instagram page and see pictures of uh, the Bloodsport cards that I own. But he, he wasn't playing baseball. I want to be clear to the audience. Ray Jackson was not playing baseball. It was a it was a card of him in Bloodsport. Uh, yes. It would be funny if it was like also like Photoshop that he was he's super bloody. The beautiful Donald Gibb. I ain't your pal, dick face. Who, yes. funny enough, went to college on a basketball scholarship. And then I think he played football or something at San Diego, but played basketball at University of New Mexico on a scholarship. And then went to uh, San Diego, transferred to San Diego, where I think, I don't know, I think he's originally from, oh no, he went to Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks. I saw. Oh, wow. Okay. He's a Valley kid. Yeah, yeah. So, look at Paul's bringing the bringing the heat with the facts already. Look at you. Um, well, Paul, really quick, I was going to say the that Dustin and I first saw you in the ring at oh, a taping no. of Lucha Underground uh, oh. way back when, and it was I think Dustin was that your first foray into the wrestling world, like actually seeing a live event. Okay, so let me be. Let me, let me go back. So I think this was, was this like 2016, maybe? Yeah, Probably. I believe so. Right. So we, uh, yeah, it was my first foray into that. Uh, we saw, I think we saw the finale or the, the finale of a certain season. It was well, like, like three episodes. It was yeah. the most insane, bloodied mess <laughs> I have ever encountered. And we were like right in the front row and the liquid started flying. And I was like, this is like real liquid this are human these are human bodily fluids there's like blood yeah. sweat you know this could be feces i don't know it's flying around <laughs> and glass was breaking it was yeah it was like it's a different it, form of gallagher it, it <laughs> i mean yeah r.i.p to gallagher yes. man if he was there he would look like so like he would look yeah he would look like nothing Nothing. He'd come on and go, where are your garbage bags for your bods? Come on, guys. <laughs> Who's got garbage it, bags? It was a, a physical feat. Of, it, was, it, was inc it was incredible. Well, you, you're talking about the AR Fox match where it was like a, it was a, a hardcore. Yeah, that was my, I, I, was, the pro, I was the producer on that match. Uh, oh, like you were? Something warfare or something match. I can't remember what it was. Him and um, Killshot. Kill shot, yeah. 
Yeah, that was a tremendous match. I, I, actually, there's a gif of Dustin and I having these looks on our faces like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that my <laughs> <Yeah>. wife took. <laughs> it's pretty insane. Those those guys in particular are pretty incredible athletes. So you produced that match. Yeah, that was I was uh, I was originally brought on uh, for season two and then I was hurt in an independent match. And so I couldn't really do anything in the ring and they wanted to bring me on um, as a backstage uh, agent producer as well. And that helped me get my feet kind of uh, really into what I was doing. Cause I had never done worn the, the, the headset, the, Na the NASCAR headset and done all that stuff. <laughs> Comes back you know, around. Yeah. This is coming up here. We need like a camera here, camera, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I was producing a lot of the matches, uh, and then I was also helping with the writing in terms of the storylines. Uh, and then I started as an on-camera character and did that. So I was doing kind of double duty uh, for season three and four. And um, yeah, it was fun. It was, it was. I definitely prefer that to getting the, the liquids and stuff thrown on me. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, unless it's watermelon. Um, <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> not that gallagher talks like that but uh. he might why do they call them cowboys cows is girls bulls is boys ought to be cowgirls and bull boys why do they call a statue a bust when it stops right before the part it'd be named after why do they call them buildings when they're already done building them ought to call them built why do they call it a tv set when you only get one And why do they call a woman's prison a penal colony? I saw something where he was pissed at. Like, I, I was, I, I got into this weird carrot top uh, bunch of interviews not too long ago. Like, right as I started getting back into wrestling again, because I was having all these kind of issues with uh, performing again. You're like, I and, need some inspiration, some prop comedy. I mean, but, but it was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and so I was listening to these Carrot Top interviews, and but he was, it was just because he, you know, for the longest time was just the butt of all jokes, and he was getting just shit on for any reason, but yeah. then it was just kind of how he got through a lot of that mentally, so it actually did help a lot oh, good. Uh, listening to him, and I thought he was pretty fascinating. It's not, maybe prop comedy isn't really my thing, but anyways, he was talking about how Gallagher accused him of stealing all his stuff like they were cool at one time and he was writing a lot of jokes for gallagher um and then out of the blue gallagher was kind of like you bastard like you stole my my whole stick and like just kind uh. of a big hill turn on him so Whoa. i thought that was interesting yeah i didn't even know gallagher had like i think a twin brother um, yes right yeah so that was yeah it was it was crazy i believe i think i watched like an inside edition or something and they're like Gallagher's twin brother speaks out. He never included me in my in his comedy, and, you know, something like that. Hmm. Identical I mean, were twins. Were they both performing, or like he was kind of like, well, that was actually me up there, you know, or was it was he not? I can't. I didn't get the gist of it. I don't know if he was a performer, but I think like he he was accusing. They had a falling out too, I believe, and he was accusing his brother of basically taking his own ideas and applying them or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's like the person back in the day who's like, I wrote the script, the liar, liar. It's right here. See, <laughs> I wrote this before the movie came out and I'm going to take them to court. And you're like, whoa, yo. 
yeah. liar liar writer speaks out on inside edition yeah see i was thinking it might be more like the the little girl in pet cemetery uh the original pet cemetery because she was a twin and they used both of them to get around child labor uh timings things like you know wow, you go only sure. one to the amount of hours so there's like bring in her twin and here's the other one so whoa yeah and all I know is the kid in Pet Cemetery, the the little yeah, Miko Hughes. Yeah, Miko Hughes. He was a my former teaching partner was his kindergarten teacher. Oh wow! Yeah, that's pretty and, cool. And he'd be like, "I have to, I can't come in tomorrow. I'm gonna be on set." Teacher <laughs> that's was like, a good Miko Hughes. Impression. Oh, thanks. Because <laughs> yeah. I am Miko Hughes now. He's like a really successful beekeeper now. I think is he? Yeah. Like he- his company or something provides a lot of the honey to what? the greater LA area. I think. Oh, that's rad. That's rad. Oh, I love yeah. that little fun fact. How did you learn that fact? I met him at a convention and he was super cool. And, um, we just, we were talking and I guess also the, um, the, the cat, like the rocket ship and new nightmare that he climbs up on top of. Yeah. Um, I guess when they were done with production, I don't know if it was someone in his family or just production, but he basically owns that rocket. Like it's in his backyard now. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he's, yeah, he's like, apparently he's a beekeeper. It's filled with bees, but it's in this backyard. <laughs> yeah. 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 That would, I mean, I would, yeah, that'd be, go ahead and climb it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many nightmares that can be induced from that. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Literally. Like uh, but yeah, so do I. Uh, and thank God we have them. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Definitely <laughs> confirmed to wasps. But right. So are you you're a are you drinking from a Bloodsport mug, by the way? I wish. No, it's okay. it's sadly I just pulled this this British <laughs> mug out and oh, okay. it has my name on it because I'm such a mark for myself. Um <laughs> No, but I am wearing a Bruce Lee t shirt. Excellent. Okay. Figured, Excellent. That's uh yeah. the true inspiration for all of this. Well, you know, he was an inspiration for apparently a lot of Chong Lee's dialogue. uh, And it was kind of reworked and tweaked throughout the movie. But a lot of it is from Enter the Dragon, allegedly. If you look in, if you go to IMDb with their trivia facts, it says a lot of what Chong Lee says is actually what Bruce Lee was saying in the, uh, in Enter the Dragon. That before he was dubbed or... This is this is after the like four this. things he like says. The four things next. he says in this movie were inspired by any track. They were like boards hit boards don't break hit back or whatever he said that line. Oh you know? yeah, that's that's actually good. That's yeah. true. Very good, but break, not hit back. You are next. You break my record. Now I break you, like I break your friend. Very good. <laughs> first of all the fact that you're or second of all uh the fact that you're on our show is huge and we're, it's an honor to have you on third of all third and of all and third of all third of all now <laughs> um and also this being our 100th episode yeah dustin you and i have been doing this for <laughs> four years now wow. and who would have thought that blood sport from 1988 would be our 100th episode. I mean, we kind of figured it would. Be. I know. We always said that when we hit 100 episodes, we would stop. So this is catching me really off guard that it's oh, our last no. episode. So it's even more special. And uh, 
Because yeah. we've already recorded two more episodes after oh, this already. Oh, man, so. this is, yeah, incredibly awkward. Sorry. So, but Martial Arts Madness, um, in all seriousness, Martial Arts Madness. No, this is really, um, this is every March we we devote the entire month to to the martial arts films of the 80s. Um, and we are thrilled to have you on, Paul, to discuss 1988's Bloodsport. Yes, and now we must bow. Uh, and, and so what is your connection to this film? What does this film mean to you? Wow. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if calling it the citizen Kane of martial arts films is accurate. I mean, it, that's fine. I, I started martial arts at a young age. I, I, I wish it was something that I still did every day in my life. Um, but throughout my entire life, martial arts has always been, something that I've always gravitated to and always loved. And when I was younger, uh, I'm guessing maybe around this movie came out in what? 88, 88, um, April of 88. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I probably saw it not too long after when I was around 10. Um, my mom, she was dating a, a karate man <laughs> at the time. Are you karate like, man? Yeah, well, the thing is, he looked he looked similar to, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but from uh, Bruce Lee's Chinese connection, the the burly guy with the suspenders. Oh, it Bob Wall. It, I think it was Bob. But wow. Was it, no, no, Bob Wall was Game of Death, right? Maybe it was yeah. Bob Wall. Man, that's embarrassing. But he he was this big burly guy, and he was a bodyguard for some old rich lady or something, and. But he um, Whoa. really introduced me to martial arts uh, that wasn't just karate at the YMCA, Daniel LaRusso style. Gotta take karate, mom. Yeah, yeah, learning from a book. Um, and so he really opened up the door for me in terms of exposing me to just to Bruce Lee, to all these martial arts films. And Bloodsport was, was definitely one of them. And it stood out to me for so many reasons. Um, I mean, I love Bruce Lee. I think anyone who, who enjoys martial arts feels the same way, but as a young kid coming up, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Cause you're thinking like, Oh, I don't look like him. I don't sound like him. I could, I can't be him. Whereas you see, um, I guess more of a, relatable as crazy as that seems that you would think you you're relatable to Jean-Claude Van Damme at a young age. <laughs> but, um, but, but I think it was just the, the variety of characters, even though, you know, I guess enter the dragon would be kind of the first real big kind of tournament film, even though, yeah. Um, you know, but I, but I feel like as though blood sport, it was definitely my first, probably my first canon film that I ever saw, um, which really ramped it up in terms of just the the, the characters, you know, just, mm. you know, I think just even from the beginning, you know, because you're, you're witnessing just kind of the slight backstory on so many of the characters that you're about to see participating in this, in the whole film. So yeah. you see this, this monkey guy flying through the tree and like cutting a coconut. And like, that was always one of my absolute favorite little clips. Um, you know, seeing the sumo guy, you know, I, I mean, if, if Bloodsport wasn't 
the inspiration for what became Street Fighter 2. I mean, I know that the Frank the Frank Dukes character obviously was the inspiration for Johnny Cage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, if that wasn't the inspiration for Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, I mean, I don't know what, what else it would have been because this was really just the variety of characters. I think this was the first real tournament movie that had just all these characters because even with Ender the Dragon, they were all in uniforms and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the only ones that really were very different were obviously um, Bolo Young and, um, and again, Bob, I think Bob Wall, right? Bob was Wall, he, yeah. Yep. Yeah, with the big scar and stuff. So, but and Jim in, Kelly but in, and John Saxon. Yeah, like, I mean, there Jim was five, Kelly, right? Just, Jim Kelly is incredible. Just, he was my favorite character in that whole film, actually. Same. Yeah, he was. Uh, somewhere I have a Jim Kelly T-shirt, but this was before I got exposed to the black exploitation stuff that he did later. I mean, this was my first Jim Kelly, but I knew John Saxon from like Nightmare on Elm Street already. Yeah, and things like that. But um, but yeah, I was probably ten, and I, I just loved it. And it was just so quotable. I mean, that's something like we mentioned uh, just in messaging, just how quotable this film is. <laughs> um. You're but gonna I, call the cops? Oh yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, whoever cast that kid, I can't remember. I saw his name on something, and it was like, it was like young Frank or something. And I, he's obviously French or something. He, he just has this look on his face, and the way he sounded. I mean, I thought he there was something wrong with him, and I and I didn't quite understand that until later that it was like, no, they just cast this weird French kid. Well, it's it is odd because he well, he's also wearing a I know people other, he's also wearing a San Francisco That's Giants funny. hat in a in a in a New York Giants football jersey. And Dustin, I want to ask you, being a Giants fan, how offended were you by the fact that he's wearing two different sports teams? But I think maybe who knows if they were trying to like ah, no one's gonna notice. They're both Giants. Um, what was your feeling on that? Well, I was so, honestly, I was so distracted by everything else that was happening that that was kind of like a a, a minor thing. And, um, I guess, well, before we get into this movie, cause I, cause I do want to dig, dig in, dig in a little bit with all that. And that kid who reminded me of, of what's his from, um, he looks a little like the the kid from a Bronx tale, uh, whose name, um, the, the main guy, what's his name? Lillo Brancato is the actor. Um, yes. But uh, but I was so distracted, honestly, by the fact that every every character is ADR'd in this movie. Like, yeah. And it's yeah. so it's so blatant. And I was almost like, so when that happened, I was like, I was like, I, I got to figure out why why everyone is is why why the dialogue is all replaced here. I don't I don't understand this and why it's so evident. And it comes in so much louder. Like the mix is not good. So, so the Giants was almost, it was like a small afterthought. I'm like, oh, he's wearing a giant, who cares? But it was like, you know, <laughs> hello, like, what's, you know, you're going to call the cop? Like, it was so crazy, everything. You didn't flinch. You have fighting spirit. You're not going to call the cops? Not if we make a deal. What kind of a deal? <laughs> I was very fascinated by the audio guys that, may have been there or not there. I don't know. Um, did they get any usable sound at all in real Wasn't time? Wasn't case for a lot of Canon films, though? It seemed like a lot of Canon films had, yes. like, the really, it was. you know... Um, I mean, probably dating back to when they did, what, Enter the Ninja? The, you know, probably 
seven yes. years before. What would that have been, like 81 or something, maybe? Yeah, with Franco Nero. Yeah, they're having to give him this Texas accent as Cole from Texas, you know what I mean? And I Wait, Franco Nero's not from Texas? <sighs> Damn it. Damn it. Yeah. And there's no Santa. I lose what? again. Get <laughs> Mike Stone's real voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, I want to point out, too, that it seems like the only people that weren't ADR'd were um, Leah Ayers, right? And, uh, and, and like the American, well, the quote unquote American actors in this movie. Yeah. But I, I, I don't even know. I feel like they may have ADR'd themselves later. Because the, you know, the, the line, the mouths don't quite match up sometimes. And I, I don't know. Because it's not just a language thing. Sometimes it's a language thing, right? We want to dub this. But but other times I feel like, I don't know, maybe the sound quality is bad. We can't use this. I don't know. Yeah. I wish I knew. I couldn't. I wouldn't be that's surprised true. if Canon just wanted everyone to ADR anyways, just so that they felt like, ah, oh, we're making big Hollywood movies. Yes. You know? <laughs> Let's just get them in. Invite us to the parties. That road that this movie took to get to finally being released, uh, we actually talk about that with Sheldon Ledich. That's going to wow. be our final episode of Martial Arts Madness Month. Wow. Uh, he talks more about the kind of the road that it got to get there, which is a very interesting story. But, uh, you know, you're saying that you were 10 years old at the time when this came out. I was 12. I saw it in the theater with my mom. Uh, it turned me on to karate as well. This and a handful of other movies at the time, best of the best and uh, no retreat, no surrender. Absolutely. Obviously were gateway movies for me. Even I think uh, best of the best came out a year later, but that idea of like, I know what you're saying that as a, as a, as a white kid, personally, I could identify more with Jean-Claude Van Damme's character and obviously not his body. I was like, there's no way I'm going to look like that. Or will I? Um, but man, it, what a gateway I think this movie was in general for most kids to find martial arts. You know, JCVD gets, he gets crapped on all the time for, from like purists, right? Yeah. Don, the dragon Wilson, who's a friend of the show does, has a, has kind of a love hate relationship with JCVD. But the bottom line is this guy brought martial arts to people that might not necessarily be drawn towards it. You know, right. you gotta, gotta tip your cap to the guy that came out here and busted his ass to, to get to where he is. And, and, you know, whether he's a champion kickboxer or not, the fact that he made it to Hollywood and overcame major obstacles to get to where he is should be acknowledged. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. One of the, the real pillars of, modern day martial arts um i mean he you know he's on he's on that mount rushmore without question yeah and i think the fact that you know he was dancing in the background of breaking for canon you know what four years prior maybe or yep. something um just goofy and not knowing exactly what he was doing but giving and, it his all really yeah, owning it giving it his all he and Michelle Kesey, uh, yeah. Michelle, Michelle Kesey, who most people know as Tong Po, but he played um, uh, Par Par Paredes? Paredes. Paredes. <laughs> uh, in, in this film, he, they came out to America together. Yeah. And Michelle Kesey told a story about how the two of them came to Los Angeles with no money, slept on the beach, uh, robbed a Vaughn's store here on Lincoln, and of of like a rotisserie chicken 
and some tuna fish uh, just so they could get through the day and actually were stopped by security when they were leaving and security didn't arrest them. Security got them an opportunity to go to a kickboxing studio and live there, which is where they lived for a while. Whoa. Were able to clean up, to keep the studio clean and they could stay there overnight. And that's where they got their start. And these two got like how hungry these two guys are, yeah. you know, um, literally stealing tuna fish. Yeah. And so a rotisserie hungry. chicken. And a chicken. <laughs> that's a trick. That, that's right, straight out of M- Michelle Kesey's mouth. Um, Doesn't that seem a little, a little, I mean, I'm not, you know, a little embellished. Because what security Probably. guard, like, how do you get to that point? Like, whoa, 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 you boys stealing this chick? Oh, you know what? You should go to this, uh, you should go live at this kickboxing. <laughs> well. And take care of it. You know, there's a kickboxing studio yeah. down the street that yeah. takes in, yeah. word, <laughs> that, from Belgium. It takes in homeless kickboxers. <laughs> Um, you guys can he live did, there. He did say, he told the story a little bit more colorfully than I am. Um, but he did say that, the you know, they basically were like apolo- very apologetic to the guy and like, you know, look, we're, we're, we're struggling martial artists. We're actors. Uh, we just, we're, we just got out to Los Angeles from, you know, from Belgium and, um, a flight that they almost didn't make because Van Damme got into security with, uh, they thought maybe he had a bomb in his bag because he was so protective over his bag, and and the people on the the flight attendants on the plane wanted to see his bag, and he was like freaking out about it, and that's a whole other story. Yeah, where are you getting like these we, stories, by the way? Because I, I I think Michelle Kesey. I think right, but I mean like a video. Is it his book? Like what? Can we go? Can because we should just you know tell people to go there instead of having you secondhand tell the stories because i mean it's fine it's fine but you know we have a limited amount of time and yeah no i'm just I, so he he did a I appreciate dvd it. signing he did a uh, dvd signing of lionheart okay directed by sheldon Laddich. yep at the dark delicacies in burbank okay and he told this story about how he and van damme basically trailblazed their way out here and thank god they did thank god jean claude had a guy in Michelle to kind of keep them, you know, uh, like they had the partnership, the buddies together, you know, and obviously found their way to Canon and the rest is history. Michelle's brother being the big villain in Lionheart as well. In right? Lionheart. That's Apple right. Or thing, so. That is cool. What, what blows me away with all that, you know, obviously their trajectories were slightly different. Jean-Claude went on to become the superstar that he is and Michelle did a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm a huge fan of Kickboxer 2. Kickboxer 2 with Sasha... Yeah. Uh, with Sasha the, with Step by Step? Yeah. A young Brian Austin Green. Uh, yeah, because I know that they replaced Michelle Kesey in Kickboxer 4 with another uh, Van Damme friend, Kamal yes. Um The odd prosthetics. He looked like a Halloween costume. Um, but, yeah, no, I... Tong Po is, is one of those villains that I think will always stand the test of time. Uh, but it's really just for those two, those first two films. You go outside of that. Nothing against Batista, but, you know, just... No. Not the same. <laughs> well, I thought for years that Tong Po was actually not... I thought that that's what he looked like. There's one of the credits, it says Tong Po, and then it says, as himself, in the credits. I'm not kidding you. I think it's part two. <laughs> But it says Hong Po as himself. You're like, what? What? Is- wow. Indiana yeah. Jones as himself. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, 
was this the first of the the canon contract i think that jean claude had signed oh that's yes. amazing mm-hmm. that's that's post shin snap yeah i'm holding up a picture of uh, paradis wow. uh, being his, oh, getting his so good. leg snapped <laughs> looks very I mean, different in this movie then so this would have been if i'm not mistaken bloodsport was you know you hear the different stories about van damme when he was on predator and how he apparently got himself fired by just falling down every time they yelled action because he was uncomfortable in the suit and he was worried and this and that but but he had met with um menachem golan and Yoram Globus, and they had signed a big three-picture deal, I think, that it was like 30000 per picture, and this was the first one, and he was going to be starring in it, so that's kind of why he sabotaged his his Predator uh, role. I mean, that's that's the story I remember getting, yeah. um, that it was because of Bloodsport, you know, being the first big, here you are, you big gents. Don't mess this up, golden boy. Yeah, we know you're in picture with uh, Schwarzenegger or whatever in Mexico, but it's oh, up to God. you. We have a big starring role for you here. Whatever, we have Donald Kibb. Have you seen <laughs> The Revenge of the Nerds? Have you seen First and Ten going for broke? He's terrific. Well, we got I mean, to see Ford this. Whitaker had done Platoon and Fast Times at Ridgemont High oh, by this man. point. Yeah, well. I remember seeing him going, oh, I know that guy. In 88, you know, when I didn't have INDB, obviously. Yeah. And thinking, oh, and then recognizing Leah Ayers from The Burning, which my brother forced me to see when I was oh, like, I don't know, seven yeah. years old. Yeah. That's so what, uh, what is Forrest Whitaker doing in this movie? Not like, what is he doing as an actor, like in this movie, but what is his character? What are these guys doing? You know what I mean? I I I do want to back up real fast because I because I think a synopsis is really important. Just just real quick, yes, please. Paul, are you are, would you feel comfortable giving a synopsis of Bloodsport, like the 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 quick elevator pitch? A westerner enters a forbidden underground tournament held in Hong Kong every some odd number of years, and actually becomes the first westerner to win said tournament against all odds, where it is not just win or lose it's fight to the death it's blood sport that's i, I mean that wow. that's a perfect pitch um thank you and and the only thing i'll add is that it is based on a real life frank dukes real life uh martial artist and liar frank dukes <laughs> um, i'm glad you added that because it, it came out um not too long ago that most of what Frank Dukes has said, and this entire story is based on on a life that that nothing can be verified. Um, di- di- we don't know if the Kumite, the, the actual tournament, if that existed. All of these these world records that Frank Dukes supposedly held: fastest punch thrown, fastest knockout, fastest kick while uh, dehydrated. You know, all these all these facts that come up <laughs> that are not at all verified or uh, real. Um, really kind of you know it doesn't taint the legacy of this movie but it does it does uh make you look at it through a different lens certainly i mean the dim mock is real let's mm-hmm. not do that what the hell is a dim mac death touch what the hell is a dim mac my favorite line by the way it's the new burger for mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> is the dim mock a real thing uh i believe so yeah i okay. mean okay. i don't know that it literally translates to to death touch um 
but it makes I buy it. I believe yeah. it. Um, you know, I think it's similar to uh, that that strike and hot rod where if you hit them just right, they shit their pants. Um, so <laughs> yes. nice reference. <laughs> hot rod. <laughs> I remember seeing on like the court TV channel or something. I think again, I was younger and i was sick and bored and i was slipping through tv and the jean-claude van damme frank duke's lawsuit was on court tv where he was suing him over who had written the quest i think oh and, yeah and frank duke's just man he he just looked like such a bad car salesman like mm-hmm. used yeah. you know what i mean and so and Van Damme was really bringing the tears. I came here from Belgium and did my <laughs> I stole, I the stole chicken. rotisserie chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the kickboxing gym thanks to security guard. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. I mean, one of his records is most consecutive knockouts. One of his records in quotes, most consecutive knockouts in a single tournament, fifty-six. Now think about how many matches you would have to have. In How a many tournament. participants? Yes, this, right. Five hundred person tournament. Right. <laughs> Weeks. And and to piggyback on that, Don the Dragon Wilson, I believe, has seventy four wins under his belt. He fought like I don't know eighty some odd matches as a kickboxer. And so I think even on our show uh, last year when he was on, he said something like, "It's impossible to have that many victories in such a short period of consecutive. time. Consecutive body just can't take consecutive it. Yeah. knockouts yeah. in a tournament." <laughs> In one tournament. All in the same tournament. Yes. That's not yes. over the span of 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Liars. I mean, a tournament, a, a, a pro wrestling tournament back in the day, you know, uh, NWA or WCW used to have a thing called running the gauntlet yeah. where they would have, you'd have three matches uh, in the course of one evening. And that was unparalleled at the time like wow this guy's gonna go he's gonna run i think brian pillman ran the gauntlet and i think his final match was with rick flair possibly i'm, I'm trying to i'm forgetting no, him. that sounds that sounds accurate but you know three matches in he was just like winded and, and you know that's insane and those matches were like seven to eight minutes seven or eight minutes long so oh if yeah if that if, i mean probably long a little longer even you know yeah so, yeah no i try to turn down any bookings like we have this all day tournament uh idea you know if you wanted to make it to the finals it's like well i don't really want to go out in the first round either but uh, uh let me check my schedule guys i'll get back to you on the tournament <laughs> really <laughs> oh my god was this uh what what were some of the factors in making this movie so powerful for you you mentioned kind of the the montages of introducing the characters that was one thing uh van damme obviously what else what were some um, other factors this this movie really showed different sides of hong kong i mean and i thought that was pretty fascinating I mean, really, I, as far as i know the whole film was shot in hong kong um and again i think van damme still has a home there from what i can tell just from various posts of his um and you know i think they went on and shot a uh, double impact um a lot of his films are shot in hong kong mm-hmm. um and so this was really kind of one of the first to really show different sides of it. And I thought that was interesting. There's a, you know, going back to the American agents, I, I'm trying to think of what, you know, um, 
who hired them to or who said i guess they're military correspondents or something you know what i mean from the from the story just because john Cla- uh frank dukes goes kind of a wall or something and you know leaves the the showers uh, without permission and but there's a shot where they're eating at the restaurant and i always man i i always just craved whatever the hell that was. I didn't even know what it was. And they weren't was keen eel, on right? it. The dog wasn't even keen on it when he throws nope. him a little dumpling or something. But <laughs> man, did I want some sort of watery, soupy dumpling of sorts when I would see that scene. But it was just, yeah, you would just see different shots. I thought they really kind of showed different aspects of, of Hong Kong, which I thought was pretty neat. But it really does boil down to the characters, just the 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 variety of color in this film um you know and i feel that was an early attraction to me when ufc first first started you know we're talking like ufc one through five with like Um, dan severin and um yeah yeah chemo i mean you had all you know in the before like right before the gracies kind of blew up yep um Mm -hmm. You you would have you know like ninja versus sumo and you know and, and, and it, there was no rules you know guys were getting like punched in the nuts repeatedly and like yeah onto holds and it was just it was wild you know and I and but I have Bloodsport to thank for that because it was just it was it was it was a it was the first real like to me video game movie you know just like first real film where you're just yeah. enthralled by all these different characters. Um, and I mean, it, and it, it really, you know, leans into the stereotypes really heavily, which as a youngster, even today is still very comical to me. Um, you know, would a, would a film like Bloodsport be able to get made today? Who knows? You know, I mean, there would be so many different nationalities probably just claiming this and that. Well, I held it in the same regard as, the Warriors. I feel like it's a time capsule movie. You could remake it, but you'd obviously it wouldn't have the same vibe that those movies no. have. You can't remake the Warriors now because if you did, it just wouldn't work unless you make it a period piece. But I think yeah. we're not going to go there, you know. And in Bloodsport, you could make that a period piece too. But again, you probably have to re- redefine many of the characters. I don't think Sadiq Hussein would or Hassan would be the same. <laughs> the, you know this. Uh, this guy, <laughs> so, right? It, Those eyes. it just wouldn't translate, right? And there was something a little bit jarring just seeing now, like like Paul, you mentioned the guy who who climbs into the tree like a monkey and just starts like you know, this, yeah, just starts cutting coconuts and stuff. I was just there was something that I was like, oh oh, what's what's happening? Um, that was a little <laughs> like you know, but I also had to you yeah you almost like questioned like is this racist? Okay, no, it's not, but. I guess it could be you know, like that's kind of how we are now. Well, I mean, as a kid, you certainly don't think those things. You right. just think, I guess that's how they fight in Africa. Cultures. You know? Yeah. That's how they yeah. fight yeah. in Korea, you know, jumping up and kneeing these massive pillars and snapping them in half or training in the, in the snow, you know, like, like you'd see in best of the best. Um, and so th- that was something that, and there's always, I mean, the thing that's so beautiful about Bloodsport is that even for characters that have no dialogue, they still stand out. You know, there are characters yeah, right. in the tournament. Like I can't remember. There's like the one guy who I could only assume was 
from France who was wearing like the blue tights <laughs> and just this very right. kind of effeminate, you know what I mean? And uh, Jackson smashes his face in. Um, but, but these characters stood out to you and, and, you know, there's the Thai boxing guy who looks like a white guy who, or an Irish guy or something that traveled to Thailand and learned Muay Thai has no dialogue, but you know, these characters still stand out. And so I thought that was something that was pretty incredible was that even for characters who you don't even know who their names are, unless you kind of dissect the credits, they still stood out and had such a lasting impression in your mind. Yeah. Um, it's it's incredible, you know. And is there a more emulated film than than Bloodsport? I mean, sure, you can think, well, Enter the Dragon, but in terms of where martial arts films really started to to go, I mean, I feel like there's probably not any more of a copycat film than than you know what what became after Bloodsport. That is true. It is a little like Mike Tyson's Punch Out when I when you kind of frame oh, yeah. it that way, where you've got these like villains that are very you know, almost like caricatures of themselves and they're from different countries. And that's what Hussein was missing was a jewel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had to punch his gold tooth. That was what you, you beat him. You had to yeah. punch that his gold tooth. Right. But I mean, even like the janitor, you know, or the, the, the maintenance guy, you know, like no yeah. dialogue, but even he gets a little bit there where he's chewing on the tooth and he's like wiping the, the, the blood. I mean, it's just true. It's, it's powerful stuff. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think for me too, one of the the character um, Victor Lin, played by Ken Cu, he passed away in 2018. Uh, I up until that point, I had only seen a sidekick in martial art or action movies as being like Mickey, right, from Rocky, sure. uh, or someone who maybe was a little bit more imposing to some degree. Either mm -hmm. they were more gruff verbally, or they physically were imposing. But he was such a like a sweet kind of guy. But he was a mover and a shaker, and he really was that added element which, which I think elevates the movie, brings the comedy in. I think him yeah. and Jackson together, those two guys really are what make this. If those characters are out of this movie, it does not have the same appeal. You Dukes, you look like a Dukes. Put up your dukes, right? My name is Jackson. This is Mr. Frank Dukes. Are our rooms ready? Mr. Lin in room 310 wants to see you after you check in. Who the hell's Mr. Lin? I'm Lin. You Jackson? You look like a Jackson. That will make you Frank Dukes. No, no, no. It's Dukes. Gotcha. Like put up your Dukes, right? <laughs> and Jackson, you know, at the time, I, I oh as a kid... God. I wanted the Duke looking character in a hero, 
right, uh, for me, because I grew up playing with G.I. Joes and watching G.I. Joe. And and I think that's why Jean-Claude appealed to me so much, because he looked like Duke from from the cartoon. Uh, But then Jackson was imposing to me as a kid. Now I look back and I'm like, maybe Jackson's my favorite character. Maybe he's the the, the ultimate badass in the whole thing. He's the heart of the film in a lot of ways. Um, And to go back to kind of the video game comparison, I mean, it's pretty appropriate that that's how they become acquainted with each other is over a game of karate champ. What? You think you can give me some competition? Sure, I'll try it. That's what I like to hear. Kid who isn't afraid to lose. No, no, I got it. I'm gonna take his money. You ready? Yeah. You like this kind of fighting, huh? Yeah. If you wanna see some real fighting, you can see me fight at the Kumite. I'm here too for the Kumite. Aren't you a little young for full contact? Aren't you a little old for video games? You wanna go at it again, huh? Yeah. Not bad, kid. Name's Ray Jackson. I'm Frank Dukes. That was such a fun game. I loved it, which I guess predates Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and a lot of those games. But And it doesn't. I think what made that game unique, unlike Yi R Kung Fu, where you're, it's a side-scroller, yeah. uh, was, and I love that game too, but Karate Champ, you could depending on how you move the controller, was what move you could accomplish, which at the time, I don't remember there being another video game like that, personally. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, Street Fighter came out where if you moved it slightly to the left, right, and then you kind of did a curve with your controller, you could do the move. But at, at the time, I only knew of, like, up, down, left, right, and that was it. ABAB select start. Exactly. Yeah, Karate <laughs> Champ's not a very fun game. It's very it's- slow, kind of plods along. Um, but it's a yeah. tournament, right? It right, is. Right. It is, but who cares? I don't <laughs> want to play it. Um, that's all I'm saying. I so I did want to talk about this idea that that you know that Frank Dukes that the character uh, you know Paul you said he he went AWOL, um, uh, and uh, this this sort of idea that when you go absent without leave in the military, specifically the army. What does that mean? And all of it, from what I from what I've read, I you know I'm, I'm, I have not uh, I have not served, but it is all very serious. It is not something you know. Even if you're 15 minutes late to your post, sometimes that's that's considered a version of a wall. So the fact that you know Frank Dude says, "Fuck you guys, I'm I'm taking off for this tournament," is incredibly. Uh, a weighted thing and thinking about it in terms of Frank Dukes lying about this kind of a thing. I don't know if he was lying that he was also in the military or not, but um, you know, you would say, well, what would the consequences be? And and they can range from, you know, everything to just being demoted to, you know, uh, being, being imprisoned ultimately. And it would seem that this level of AWOLness would result in probably imprisonment. I don't know why you would send these two, doofuses <laughs> really these guys were like the the least smart least effective you know uh army cid officers played by uh just it's forrest whitaker and and norman burton helmer and rollins helmer and rollins show up at the hotel uh 
you know, Jean-Claude gets away and then they're like, oh man, thwarted. They know where he's staying. Like this is not, you know, it's just this whole thing of like, you're coming back with us, Frank. And he's like, in two days, I'll come back. (laughs) They're like, no, you're coming back now. Okay, Dukes, you know why we're here. Taking you back, Frank. Let's go. Only when the kumite is over. You know, once he disarms their taser, they're like, now what do we do? Like, they're just, I don't understand what they're doing there. They're not imposing. Um, Cue the Mentos commercial at that point. The Mentos commercial is the most infamous. It's probably the best thing to come out of of that scene. And that scene, the the actual music that's playing during that scene is, is a romantic song called Steal the Night. I don't know why that's a choice. I would rather have the Mentos song play in the movie, honestly. I love that song, though. It's a great song. Steal the Night? Yeah. No, no, it's not a great song. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. He's like, it was Valentine's Day yesterday. We played it. Um, (laughs) No. It's my romance. It's my moves. No, I don't. We're not talking about the soundtrack. I understand that. But it just feels like when we we talk about those two characters, they don't really have a place other than being this sort of comedic, bumbling obstacle for no more than, you know, three minutes at a time basically yeah i mean yeah that's true i thought it could have been a neat touch too had they shown up after they fell into the harbor uh just sick as dogs you know what i mean because you would think you would contract some sort of illness falling into that water so i thought that that was a that was a slightly missed bit Mm -hmm. they really are the comedic bit here i mean throughout the film um you take you you think that the <clears throat> which one's Helmer the older one and then Rollins yeah, the yeah. yeah you would think that he's definitely the more seasoned of the two he's he's the one that does a lot of the talking and uh, Rollins seems like a bit more of the hothead you know and is quick to jump on on the situation and cut to the chase but it, you can tell his inexperience kind of shines through here uh, but it it also I think it it, it didn't just assist. The Frank Dukes character in, you know, giving him some opposition, but it allowed for a lot of the other characters to to kind of, I guess, mainly Jackson, you know, like that. That's one of the best scenes when you get to see Jackson risking himself by tackling them both um, to help Frank kind of get the jump on getting out of there. Uh, And I mean, he gets, you know one of the best lines in the film where he, you know, lets them know that he's not his, he's not their pal. Right. <laughs> right. <the> right. <laughs> it is one of, he, he does have the best lines in the movie. Yeah. They're it's debatable, but that's only because there are so many insanely great lines in this. That's film. true. That's true. Um, Helmer too is, is such a, such a tool bag. Like he reminds me of the guy. If you've ever had a nine to five job where you've had someone who's been there for 20 years, who has <laughs> to train you, you know, when, when they first show up at uh, Mr. Tanaka's house and, 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 uh, and Rollins is like, you know, kind of getting hot and Helmer's like, 
Mrs. Tanaka. Thank you. Like, this is what you do. Watch me. Watch what I do. Thank you for your patience and your time. It's like so such like, oh, you're such a cheese head, you know? And yeah. Then, and then Rollins is like, okay, I guess I got to be like that, you know? <laughs> right, right. No, he's so condescending. He's, it's good, though. It's good stuff. I mean, he's uh, definitely the, the vet of the two and just fun, lovable, lovable military. Oh, the buffoonery. Yeah. Now, I had no idea that Shidoshi and uh, Hanzo Tanaka was. I just kind of recently put it together. He was the villain at the very beginning of Temple of Doom. Um, oh, who, really? Oh, who, yeah. He oh. poisons, who lets Indiana Jones oh, know that he's great. poisoned. Yeah. He was that guy with that rotating table. Great pull. Yep. Yeah. And I thought, because I was right. like, I know I'd seen him before. And I had seen Temple of Doom before I saw Bloodsport, certainly. So I thought, mm-hmm. and that helped that helped make that a a character that that you respected not just because frank dukes respected him but but he had a very imposing presence to him and that is true well i think i i I can speak personally and say that when i saw an actor pop back up from a movie that i recognized him in i.e billy drago in invasion usa and if he was like a villain in a movie because he was in a semi-decent b-movie called like death match or um death game or something like that it's got like don swayze's brother in it or don swayze and uh and a whole uh, chad mcqueen it's like the brothers of sons and everything um and he's like the main villain in that and i'm like yeah but you got your dick blown off in invasion usa like that's (laughs) you're not imposing so at the time as a kid if I saw you in one particular role, but then you had a bigger role in another movie, I'd be like, no, nah, it's not believable for me. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like when I saw Matt Adler in North Shore, and then I see him in Whitewater Summer, and I'm like, yeah, but you were such a nice guy in uh, North Shore. Oh, I don't like yeah. this. Letter you're to the so, editor. Just a nerdy friend in Teen <laughs> Wolf. Right. Yeah, gee. <laughs> Matt Adler's great. God, North Shore, that's... That's definitely up there, my child. That's a whole other. I want to point out Philip Chan, who played uh, the captain of the yeah. military. That guy, he was, I think, the main villain in Double Impact, uh, I believe. One of the main villains. Yeah, you're right. Mm. But he's um, been in a ton of great movies like Hard Boiled and Super Cop. Just legendary actor. Uh, so you see him and you're like, this guy has... A gravitas about him. I didn't know those other movies. Uh, obviously, Double Impact hadn't come out yet, but I didn't. I hadn't seen Super Cop, or I hadn't seen many Jackie Chan movies in '88. Right. And then no. I see him, I'm like, "There's something about that guy. He's so good." Yeah, they just they figured let's give him a stogie and make him a villain in Double Impact. Um, yeah, no, he's you're right. That's wow. I mean, he, he, his doppelganger seemed almost as though he was the guy who was like, okay, USA. Um, they had a similar. <laughs> you lose, you know, American asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, even that guy, just for that one line, just stood out. I mean, you can, anyone, yeah. anyone in martial arts films, you can basically just throw that out there without even having brought up Bloodsport. Okay, USA. And they're going to be like, oh my God, I love Bloodsport. You know, like. <laughs> 
Um, is it the most quotable martial arts film today? I mean, it, it, it's very well. Yes, definitely. It's a good question. I'm just going to say yes. Well, I mean, yeah. Even just one line. Quotable. <laughs> I mean, one guy, Chong Li, has one line or two, well, four. But you say his line, you go, oh, that's Chong Li from Bloodsport. Right. I mean, we've all pointed at somebody before in our lives and been like, you are next. Right. I've done the like little, I <laughs> break you. <laughs> like I break your friend. Um, yeah. My, I just quickly wanted to say my favorite part of this movie is um, Leah, Leah Ayers, who plays the romantic interest slash reporter who's trying so hard to get into the Kumite. She plays Janice Kent. She's trying so hard to get into the Kumite and she's, you know, sleeping with with Frank Dukes and she's like, can you, you know, take me in? And he's like, no, I, I can't take you in. I can't take you in, into the tournament. And then he goes to the tournament and then she's there um, with some, you know, random guy that, you know, has, she's, she's gotten, gotten in. And she loudly says, loudly says, this isn't the first time I've had to go undercover to get a story. <laughs> right. Right. And then she proceeds to like pull out the, the brick recorder in the middle they're taking notes like you're real good at it yeah real good they're too busy watching chong lee i guess you know oh my god wait a minute you're a reporter no 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 no. i was just yelling about something else he's good too that little weaselly playboy guy always like the bookie or whatever he Mm -hmm. is yeah 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 and he takes the money out of the ref's pocket when frank shows up he's funny yeah he is um, and he's got those mu- he has like one one exchange with Frank where he's like you good you good good you good good I know. <laughs> you good yeah <laughs> well, I thought it was a neat thing too that they you know kept all the fighters kind of in the stands together instead of just it's super cool having them retreat to some backstage locker room um, you know that seemed kind of more typical right in film you right. kept them all kind of bundled up and i think that really added to getting them all over in the in the visual sense that you're like oh yeah okay i mean again even if they're not saying anything you see them they, they, all of them got quite a good amount of screen time and and some of them you know get put over more than others um you know, and I and I also what I really loved and I think made the Frank Dukes character again so relatable is he he didn't just mow through this tournament, you know, like he faces quite a bit of opposition, especially when he faces the uh, the sumo and we were first introduced to that Johnny Cage split punch. Ribs are broken there. And then yeah. he just kinda like farts it off and he's like <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my god, like what's it gonna take to to down this monster, you know? And then you get the, the beautiful splits punch. So I just thought it was fantastic how they put over so many of these characters. Um That's refreshing. You're right. It's refreshing to see the hero not necessarily being indestructible. Oh yeah. Best of the best three or four, I'm not really sure which one it is, but I think Philip Ree directed it and he's the star of it i don't recall him getting hit a single time in the mm. entire movie 
He just mows. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Like, where is yeah. what? Garbage. Never in peril. Yeah. Makes and that's why hard. Best of the Best wor- one works so well because they sure. get their asses handed to them. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I was also going to point out too, Victor really? Lin and then Chong, and then Chong Lee's, uh, the, his, his kind of manager that doesn't say a word through the whole movie even though even when he's cheering you don't even hear they didn't adr his cheers Mm -hmm. at all it's all silent those are the only two non-fighters i think in the audience on those respective sides i don't think anybody else has like a a handler so to speak true interesting uh do you do you have all the cards? have we seen all of your cards have you shown them all no no i'm I'm actually uh so this one i think is very entertaining send ling uh, it's his card is just literally him with his oh after he got his ass kicked. Oh, that's funny. Just money. See the one that takes the big back bump off of the off of the stage. What I a weird so. stage, too, right? It's in the it dirt. looked like an orthopedic bed or something. Like it was <laughs> right. <laughs> Craftmatic, adjustable. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little like Flash Gordon ish, so you know, funny. with the rotate. I I was hoping it would rotate with spikes coming out of it, but. Uh, uh, you know, Paco, Paco is another guy who uh, has Paco, that's the, that's the guy to him. Paco's uh, the guy. You know, Dustin, you brought up the soundtrack. I think we should kind of talk about the soundtrack a little bit because Steal the Night may not be that great of a song, even though I like it. Uh, but Stan Bush's Fight to Survive is without a doubt one of the greatest 80s rock anthems of all time. I want to point out you probably like Steal the Night because it's super repetitive. Steal Steal the Night is said like fifteen <laughs> Paul, he times. He gives me shit for liking repetitive music. He just yeah. lo- like loves super repetitive, like the same thing over and over again for five to six minutes. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> anyway, well, I think also credit should be given to Paul Herzog, of course, for his, for his just all the all the other music, and he would go it, on to do other films i know he did kickboxer as well and kickboxer yeah and so i thought a lot of that um music really added to the atmosphere you know especially the real oriental influenced music uh whenever you for sure you know get introduced to the fighting arena Flashbacks to training with uh, Shidoshi, which, you know, those flashbacks are are great, too. I mean, this was one of those kind of uh, montage 
films that wasn't so much a montage of him training at the actual tournament, more so that montage of the training prior mm -hmm. to all of it, you know? So that was a different, that was a different look of a montage too. Cause up until that point, really, we had just had, uh, in my estimation, you know, no retreat, no surrender, which is montages for training as you're progressing. But yeah. this was all flashback stuff. And I thought that was great. Really helped. Which they spent like 20 minutes of the movie doing flashback montages. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and that, and you see, you know, not just in the training, but just in his character development where he won over the sun too, you know what I mean? By kind of coming to his rescue uh, on the schoolyard, you know, which also has one of the most quotable and oddly racist lines <laughs> of the film where he's like, beat it round eye. I'm like, round eye. That's, Never have I ever heard that since, he, you know, it's, it's uh, wow. And I've used that to people. <laughs> does Frank Dux have, does Frank Dux have his script on his chest? Because the kid, the little, the, the son is looking directly at Frank's chest when he talks to him. I'm like, are the lines right there? You got to look at me in the eye. You cannot see your face. I feel like the directing was a little strange on the eye lines overall. Yeah. A little bit. He had his bill bit. on his hat cut off. Is that? Yeah. I mean, you're wearing your hats. It's not turned around, is it? No, Dustin? it's it's, it's just cut off. It's just cut, cut off, off the sword. Off. Yep. Yeah. I That's tried to, to steal it. the sword. Um, got the hat cut off, but then later I was presented the sword in a three minute long montage uh, flashback. So lovely, it worked out. You're gonna call the cabs? <laughs> Sorry, that's probably one of my I. Lines. I feel like the Paul Herzog. It, I don't know much about him personally, but the fact that his phone stopped ringing and that no one would hire him, um, you know, he did Bloodsport, he did Kickboxer, he did a movie called Breathing Fire in 1991, and that was it. And then he, like, sat around and was like, uh, you guys want to hire me for stuff? And no one did. And then he went back to school and became a, a high school teacher. Oh, wow. That's cool. Hopefully he taught music. English and music theater, yeah, music theory. Wow, good for him. Yeah, that's right. Good. I mean, you know, I think about someone like Vince DiCola, who went yeah. for a very long stretch until someone, well, Peter Hackman, a friend of ours, friend of the show, you know, was a big proponent of pushing him forward and like getting him gigs again, and he's successful again now. But there was a long stretch in there where Vince was not composing films after wow. coming off the heels of such a huge hit like Rocky four and, and, you know, transformers, albeit had a, a, a litany of issues with it. And he, and he talked about that in our interview, but um, still it's a memorable soundtrack. Absolutely. No, Vince, wow. You're bringing up some, yeah. and that's Vince DiCola and Stan Bush on that transformers soundtrack as well. That, that soundtrack's incredible, so, but the Rocky four soundtrack, I mean, who hasn't trained, at some point using that music, you know, it's still the most motivating. Epic. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, Instant motivation. I wonder if Stan Bush is the problem. Maybe he's the reason why, like, like there's the curse of Stan Bush. We should dig deeper into this. If there's a Stan Bush song featured, what became of that composer? On, yeah. On said movie. 
The Wraith had a good composer, and Stan Bush did a song on that movie, and, too. And what so. happened to that composer, whose name is escaping me, even though we've talked I, about it? I don't know. Right? But, you know, one can assume. <clears throat> one can assume. The, the phone stopped ringing, because if you work with Stan Bush, the phone stops ringing. I don't know oh, about this no. theory, guys, but I'm, I'm going to push it. No. 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 Have y'all interviewed Stan Bush? <laughs> Have y'all found him as well? Not yet, period. But, you know, that, that's probably Have we looked for him? For sure. I haven't looked. We should look for him and then be <laughs> well, like, um, why did you end every composer's career that you work well, with? Well, he's going to be at the Transformer Con, I think, in April uh, oh, in, wow. in Los Angeles. So. so Zach will be there with the scoop. No. Dressed yeah, like Paul's brother Jonathan might Bumblebee. Be yeah. <laughs> um, so the soundtrack to this movie is powerful. Uh, I think if you take Stan's vocals out of Fight to Survive, it's still an epically amazing song because yeah. that that there is a version online. I think it's on the soundtrack actually, an extended version. I have the vinyl of of Bloodsport. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's got a gateway or gatefold or whatever, and you open it up, and it's it's Van Dam and oh, Chong Li. It's so it's rad. a work of art, and then the back is is got uh, more art. And oh yeah, I'll post pictures of it on our Instagram. Um, we've talked about the Blood Brothers mix on our show before. Go back to our episode about that, by the way. The martial arts, uh, it's it's like top five. The martial arts grab bag. It's martial arts grab bag. Is that the one when we talk about music? Or is, or is this it a... the sports grab bag? Oh, martial arts sound. I don't remember. What did we do? Anyway. Martial arts soundtracks. We don't even remember Previous our own episodes. episodes. We've been doing this so long. A hundred episodes, you guys. We don't even remember our our first ones. They were so 100 long. A hundred episodes. A hundred episodes. One hundred. That's more impressive than Frank Dukes' faux resume. <laughs> <laughs> It this is. is this is proven that we've done a hundred episodes and it's real. Unlike Frank's, right. well, they didn't have Wikipedia back then. Yep. They didn't have the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's convenient. No video, no records. Sheldon Ledich, in in a couple of weeks, you'll hear the interview with Sheldon Ledich, and he's a very diplomatic. He has a diplomatic approach to how he describes his relationship with Frank Dukes. But you can read between the lines, and you realize we've all had friends that. Uh, you know, sell you on one thing and, and don't deliver on the other. You'll have to ask him. I was at um, Mystic Museum at some point last year. Um, I want to say it was during one of their exhibits. I don't know if it was just an Evil Dead exhibit or whatnot, but they had a script in a glass case that was... I want to say for Army of Darkness, it was one of the drafts for Army of Darkness, and his name was on it. And I know that he had yep. done a co-writing with uh, Bruce Campbell earlier. I, th- I want to say before Bloodsport, but there's some tie in there with him and Bruce Campbell and that party there. But <clears throat> there is. We, we actually talk a little bit about that with him. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so cool. That's so yeah, cool. the, a little movie called "Thou Shall Not Kill." Dot dot dot. Except yeah, that, okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, Sheldon's I, one yeah. of those guys who's had relationships with so many people in Hollywood, um, and you know he's he's got a good relationship with them, and he talks. Well, that's on our Patreon, which everybody should sign up for. Go to our Patreon, two dollar late fee Patreon. 
uh, and sign up because you can hear the $2 six question segment we did with Sheldon where he talks about his connection to Quentin Tarantino. So that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you're here, Paul. And, uh, and, and I always pull out a couple of facts from the year Bloodsport came out. I want to quickly say 1988. I, I specifically chose some of these because I knew they would drive Dustin nuts. Oh, good. Um, They're all wrestling. You're a wrestler, though. I'll allow it. No, I'll allow in 1988. It. Professionally. There's one wrestling. There's one wrestling. Go one. West came out with their worst song ever. It is called, and here's all the wrestling facts. <laughs> right? Okay. No. Dirt. No. This is, uh, but I th- Dustin will appreciate this, and Paul, you may not know why until after i say it and dustin can elaborate but steve winwood had a top 10 hit in 1988 oh it's called roll with it Dustin, are you familiar or do you appreciate the song roll i was with afraid it? you were going to bring this up so uh, my relationship with, with Steve Winwood, Paul, is uh, that I never really liked his music. Um, and uh, specifically, there was a scene in a movie called Short Time starring Dabney Coleman in which Dabney Coleman takes his son Dougie on a ride in his convertible and turns, you know, pulls down the... Maybe he's maybe maybe he's already taken the top down. I don't know. And and Dougie's playing with the radio, and and roll with it comes on, and 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 they have this conversation where you know Dabby's about to change it. He's like, "No, Dad, leave this song on. It's cool. It's real cool." <laughs> and it's it's so it's the most cringe. It's just you know the kids say cringe. It's like it's just so cringy. Um, never liked that song. I think that song is terrible. I will say I later discovered Steve Winwood's '70s stuff, and it's like the best stuff I've ever heard in my life. So, um, it, it was just some of that '80s '80s stuff. What year was that film? That would have been what '89. What, uh, short time. Well, we can find out. Certainly, I, I, I don't. Uh, it's it's a fun movie. Short time. 1990. 1990. Okay. Wow. So that's even dumber, right? That that song had been out. For two years. Well, they let's assume they filmed. Maybe they filmed in '88 or filmed in. Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And is that like a road trip movie? I'm not familiar with it. I would like to see it. No, the premise is that Dabney Coleman is a cop, and he gets um his his urine results or something get mixed up, and he gets told that he's you know he only has like X amount of days to live. So it's called short time because he's trying to get everything done, but also. He only gets the money for his kid if he dies on the job. So he's taking a lot of risks, comedic risks, uh, as a cop, um, you know, because he's trying to get killed so that sure. his kid gets the gets the gets the money. After a mix-up at the hospital, Detective Bert Simpson thinks he's got two weeks to live. What's the difference if it happens? It happens. But if he can go in the line of duty. All right. His family will be set for life. But getting killed isn't as easy as it looks. Short time. You missed me again, you idiot. Rated PG-13. Great cast, though. Great cast. Yeah, it's it's good. Danny Coleman. It's good. That scene is the worst scene. <laughs> yeah. I saw that in the theater yeah. with my mom. Matt Frewer, Terry Garr is in that. Wow. You should check it out. Yeah, no, I haven't heard of it. I'd like to. I think 
I think Dabney Coleman, I think of uh, obviously like what Cloak and Dagger, I think. Yep. Um, and that was a very special film for me just because it had so much of it in San Antonio. And I felt like I've been there. Like, that's crazy. The people watch <laughs> scary now. I've been there. Yeah. Totally. Did yeah. you try to jump out of the boat in the river walk? Like, yeah, uh, these old, this old couple was chasing me and they were like coming after yeah. me. And it was creepy. Three fingers. Oh, yeah. so disturbing. <laughs> um, I want to know if you guys played the game in 1988, the game Altered Beast came out yes. for the arcade before, prior to Sega. Rise from your grave. Sega introduces America's most wanted, Altered Beast, wanted for destroying the forces of evil by transforming into dragons, tigers, and other awesome beasts, even the golden werewolf. Yeah. That was a fun um, game. Yeah, great game. Absolutely. Um, and like you said, yeah, that was one of the reasons to get the Genesis later. Mm-hmm. It was offered yep. on Genesis. Um, yeah, Altered Beast was incredible i mean that would have been well after what castlevania but a lot of those side-scrolling mystical games um ghosts and goblins and a lot of those games but yeah i mean this was one of those arcade games that you wanted on a home entertainment system for so long and so when it finally came out it was pretty awesome yep they had it on game gear as well but yeah altered beast man that who wouldn't want to be an altered? We're all altered beasts <laughs> in our life, right? Who wouldn't want to be an altered That's so good. Well, speaking of altered beasts, this this I do have one wrestling fact. I love uh -oh. to pull out wrestling facts. This was a big one for me in 1988. I don't know about you, Paul, but um, WrestleMania four came out in 1988. But at the same time, the same day, TBS aired Clash of the Champions for free. Whoa. That was NWA's promotion. had teams like the real warriors and dusty Rhodes taking on the powers of pain and with like ivan koloff and the barbarian and you had lex luger and barry windham defeating arn and tully for the world tag team titles you had sting taking on rick flair for the world title it was oh. stings basically that was the rick flair passing the torch to sting moment so to speak giving the sting the big rub because he wasn't as big in eight i think he was on his way he was still somewhat of a uh, not a rookie, so to speak, but he was on his way to becoming a larger-than-life character, and he took right. on Ric Flair, I think, in like a 45-minute match. No, I believe it. I mean, Rick could work with anybody. He was incredible, and at the time, I think Sting still had that kind of white trash rat tail mullet. He did. Right? <laughs> he um, did. Surfer Sting oh with God. the rat tail. Yeah, which was in... It was, it was melded into the action figure, because back then, those earlier pre-WCW into WCW figures were kind of more of just the molds that were that didn't have any articulation whatsoever. Yep. Those and, are great figures. I love those. I, they were not LJN, but they were no. pretty badass figures. Right, right, right. But that's such a, uh, what a what a beautiful time in wrestling, you know, because for the most part, everyone still really believed what they were seeing. And you had, yeah. again, similar to Bloodsport, you had just these bigger more colorful characters um whereas now sadly wrestling just looks like 
different fraternities against each other yeah. you know mm-hmm. yeah just there's no magic um and the ring music that they would come out to was original songs back well not ori- like you know the uh, midnight express would come out to the theme from the movie the midnight yeah. express and sting yeah. would come out to uh, search and destroy by metallica i believe or a metallica song right. um road warriors would come out to uh iron man by ozzy osbourne oh, you know that's and, before yeah. licensing took over just the golden golden era you know and this would have been would that have been before the the wrestling cartoon i think with hulk hogan and all those characters rock and wrestling mm. yeah i think the rock and wrestling it was probably similar time yeah, around the same time i believe yeah yeah um and you're like how come jimmy snooker doesn't have a bigger role in this oh we'll find right. out about 20 years from now Although, you know, going back to Bloodsport, it makes me wonder if Mr. Fuji took inspiration from Chong Lee's manager for the salt in the eyes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because I don't know that he had done that. That wasn't uh, his gimmick yet? Not yet. I mean, I know that he clearly used it years later um, to help Yokozuna defeat brett at wrestlemania 9 and very memorable yeah but that was that that kind of became his thing and and it makes you wonder if you know was this was Bloodsport one of the first times we have actually seen that kind of underhanded tactic before you know this the the power (laughs) even though it wasn't salt i i would love to know what exactly that chemical was that started out right. as a little pill form. Yeah. It was just very easy to crush up Blinded and him. caused Frank Dukes to kind of have this fisheye lens uh, or Vaseline on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the lens. With, you know what I mean? Vaseline versus, on his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. The dilated right pupils. And, and that was something too, that friends and I would do whenever um, I remember one time going to basketball camp in El Paso and there was this really heavy rain and a friend of mine who who'd gone to camp with me like we were out there kind of playing in the rain which lended itself more so to like a cyborg type scene where he's in the rain but we would always be doing the frank dukes like <laughs> yelling and i can only imagine the neighbors uh, probably thought, oh my god what is wrong with these kids that's funny <laughs> But everyone's done that, I think, at some point. Uh, if you if you're a Bloodsport fan, where you might get something in your eye, or even just playing around, where you're just like, ah! Ah! <laughs> I mean, I did it in the shower. I would do yeah. it in the shower after I put shampoo in my hair. I'd be recreating that scene, trying yeah. not to. <laughs> trying not trying to grab, uh, you know, the soap or the 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 scrub brush or whatever. I can do this. I can I can go into the Kumite now. Oh it's so good. Yeah, you just have to think back to when you caught fish with a blindfold on. Of course, yeah. who who hasn't tried that? It's easy now. Come on. Paul Hertz yeah. score. I mean nothing nothing beats the image of Jean-Claude Van Damme right after kicking the crap out of Chong Li and winning the winning the entire thing. Yeah. I love it. I love that they didn't play off of you know, it would have been so easy for them to rip off something like Karate Kid, see No Retreat, No Surrender, obviously. Um, but but so many of the 
just the the training bits and the the character building bits for all the characters. I mean, it's, it was just there was so much originality in Bloodsport. Yeah. And I think obviously that's why it's been copied still to this day. Um, is because it was just it was so fresh. It's like what a fresh film. Yeah. And you hear the you hear the stories about how it really didn't test well at all. Nope. And I think this was the case for a few of those canon films that Van Damme started off with. I know the same thing happened with uh, Kickboxer, I believe. And, and Cyborg. And Cyborg, yeah, where he went and apparently edited the whole thing, on, you know, re-edited it himself and cut it together himself. And then it became kind of this big hit. Um, but, I mean, can you imagine, you know, being in, like, Times Square or something at the time when this was released and seeing that massive shot of him doing the flying kick to, to Chong Li? And right. That's how films should be marketed, you know? And, yeah. But I guess times are just not so kind to martial arts genre films, you know? Like, when when, when have we ever – when was the last time we've seen something like that get that kind of uh, – you know, that kind of like a marketing, um, yeah, just right. gussied up like that. Right. You know, well, I think that era is over, unfortunately. Like, like you said, with wrestling, you know, uh, yeah. the, the larger-than-life colorful characters, the factions that we had back then that looked a certain way, you know, you, we're never going to have the that Chuck, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, JCVD you know, for like the four horsemen or the, what do you call it? Mount Rushmore of action heroes sure. um, from that era. And, but, but fortunately we still have this film and it stays the test of time. Yeah. There's cheesy moments, but shit, there's cheesy moments with every uh, martial art action movie. And though they do not outshine the, 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 the fact that this movie has, it checks all the boxes off montages, right. music, colorful characters, a compelling storyline uh whether it's true or not it doesn't even matter now what matters is the fact that it's it it's it's better than the truth it's you know i mean how blown away were you all at the very end when you would get that pause that little still frame oh, the, there and it would literally have a paragraph of saying how it was claiming to be a true story and you're just sitting there thinking like oh my god yeah what oh this is yeah. that's the perfect film i'm sure there's a lot more like that out there that we just don't know about. And I do think that, that the action stars will come back. I do think we will get that. I agree. Get that again. I agree. I appreciate your guys' uh, positivity. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at someone like Scott Atkins, who I don't know. He's great. I'm sure you all saw that, the clip of or his picture for the most recent John Wick, which looks insane. He looks like uh, Colin Farrell's Penguin. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre, right? But you would think, you know, someone kind of like a Scott Atkins could. I mean, that's kind of the closest thing I can think of right now in terms of just uh, bankable martial arts star. Yep. But you still, it's it, most of his work is straight to video, you know, or, or DTV or whatever. Um, so it is neat to see him getting. Uh, a bigger role kind of in a John Wick film, but, but in terms of, yeah, like thinking when, when will they hype up big action movies like that again? I mean, I guess John Wick would be the closest we'll have, um, but yeah. that's usually going to just be a still shot of 
Keanu or something. Maybe he's doing guns. I'm I'm not really sure, but that's guns. You know what right. I mean? Like we right. want yeah. fists and kicks and the same spin kick from different angles over and over again. I mean, those are the things that make these films so beautiful to watch and stand the test of time. Right. You know, that's really right. Do. It fought to survive and it lived. <laughs> yeah, it's still it's really still quick. Fun. I just want to say the lyrics, the lyrics in uh, "Fight to Survive," where he's like, "What does he, what does he say?" Um, he says, "Perfect timing, tight as a drum." That's a line in the song. I used to think he said, "Perfect tiny, tight as a drum." Well, and like actually, it still applies. Funny enough, this was, I believe, the first of not the bare ass Jean Claude ass shop, but this would be the first of his. Showing his ass yep. as he's putting on his mantis, yes. um, <laughs> you know, after having the the evening seducing our uh, favorite reporter yeah. undercover. Yes, um, but then I think it would have probably been Lionheart was the first where you get the full ass exposure. And I remember seeing something <laughs> I think where I don't know if it was Sheldon Ledich maybe who might have said it in one of the extras I'd seen on one of the films, probably Lionheart. Where he was talking about how, like, what a smart choice that Van Damme knew that he could appeal to both men and women and kind of tried to kind of make himself this sex symbol. And I'm sure it worked for a long period of time. I mean, I'm sure there's still people that pause that scene. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. Back, for sure. Yeah. Bloodsport is the, really the kind of the first little butt exposure. Um, can't say ass unless it's like totally exposed, you know, which. Then we would get more of obviously Lionheart, Universal Soul, yeah, right. more cheek cheek glances. Yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah. I mean, who who uh, credit goes to the uh, who would that be? I guess the the makeup department, or maybe just some sad PA who's you know told like you need to go spray his glisten. It needs more glistening. Glisten, like it needs you know ass glisten department. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean. I want to hear from these people. Yeah, really. <laughs> we need more oil. Menahem's like, I'm on it. Don't worry. I got it. <laughs> DVD extras is just best. devoted to, to butt glistens, you know? Yeah. That'd be good. Well, Paul, uh, we got to wrap up, but we oh, could continue yeah. to talk about blood sports, Jean-Claude Van Damme. We didn't even get a chance to really touch upon some wrestling stories. Uh, maybe we can have you back on Who and do a little them? bit of that. Who needs them? When you're talking Who needs them? Who needs them? How about some 88 wrestling stories, the the heyday, what, what we yeah. love to watch way back when. Um, but having you on was was a pleasure for our 100th episode. Thank you so much for joining Ooh, us. Uh, thank you, guys. Absolute pleasure on my end. I mean, this is uh, this is my kumite as well, you know, so I'm very, uh, very honored you all had me on to speak uh, all things we could on Bloodsport. Okay, USA. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, guys. This is a lot of fun. You guys are a riot, man.
I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.